93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob. Casey will be here in just a little bit. And unfortunately, we start our show today with some, well, very sad news. And I hate to do this, but it is the top story, so we've got to do it. Mitch Daniels opting not to run for the United States Senate in the Republican Party against Jim Banks. Adam Rinna Politico had the story and Banks said, or Daniels rather said, quote, after what I hope was adequate reflection, I've decided not to become a candidate for U.S. Senate with full credit and respect for the institution and those serving in it. I conclude that it's just not the job for me, not the town for me, and not the life I want to live at this point. Daniels goes on to say, maybe I can find ways to contribute that do not involve holding elective office. If if not, there is so much more to life. People obsessed with politics or driven by personal ambition sometimes have difficulty understanding those who are neither. So let's talk about this. Uh, and again, this news just coming down uh, earlier uh, today, Mitch Daniels again announcing he will not run for United States Senate against Jim Banks in a Republican primary. So many people thought this is the conclusion that Mitch Daniels would come to. We talked with Abdul about this. That was where his insiders were telling him that Mitch Daniels would ultimately fall. And look, if your heart isn't in something, then don't do it. And on some level, there is you got to you got to tip your hat to Mitch Daniels and say clearly his heart wasn't ultimately in it and just being um bullied and pushed around by a younger guy who's desperate for power which is look let's face it that's what Jim Banks has become when he voted for Kevin McCarthy not one not two not three but 15 consecutive times Jim Banks doesn't actually believe in Kevin McCarthy. Strategically, politically, that was the right thing to do. It's the same reason Jim Banks tried to be in House leadership and then got rejected by Kevin McCarthy and then ran for Senate. Had he been in House leadership, he wouldn't have run for Senate. Jim Banks is a guy that that wants power. And so I think many of us were looking forward to Mitch Daniels maybe being goaded, for lack of a better term, into the race. Maybe Mitch Daniels would say, look, this young whippersnapper, he and his people can't say the sort of things about me that they're saying. And we said, hey, let's get in. Let's talk about it. Let's let's have some fun here. Ultimately, though, Mitch Daniels made what I think everybody would say is the correct decision. If indeed you aren't doing it to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, try to make a huge impact, a huge positive impact on the American people and the people of the state of Indiana. So many people are in politics because they want power, because they want influence, because they want to be liked or be important. And ultimately, Mitch Daniels, and I thought this line at the end was absolutely perfect. People obsessed with politics or driven by personal ambition sometimes have difficulty understanding those who are neither. And I thought that was a phenomenal quote, and we need more people in public office who are like Mitch Daniels, who are willing to walk away if indeed they feel like they've accomplished what they set out to do and they don't need to be in the next thing just because it is the next thing. Now, I said, this is sad. I didn't say it's sad for me because I thought Mitch Daniels would be some phenomenal U.S. senator. He might have been an okay senator. He might have not been an okay senator. We'll never know. 
The fact is, if Mitch Daniels had run, he probably would have won, and he probably would have won over overwhelmingly uh, because there is a great fondness for Mitch Daniels. There is a, a great fondness for nostalgia and almost anything, and Mitch Daniels uh, certainly endeared himself to many people as a governor and then as the, the head of Purdue, and and it probably would have been an easy victory for him, not just in the primary, but also in the, the general election. Uh, it's sad, though, because, and we've said this many times on the show, the more elections an, an office holder has to go through to become an office holder, the better it is for us as the taxpayers because the more opportunities we have to hold the person accountable. And we have seen with Todd Young over the past six, now going on seven years, that when you don't fear anyone or anything and there is no one to hold you accountable, you see the sort of governance that you get. The reason Todd Young continually kowtows to Mitch McConnell, the reason he continues to ignore you and your emails and your phone calls, the reason he continues to vote as Mitch McConnell tells him to over what's best for you is because he fears Mitch McConnell more than he fears you. And he knows and he knew no one was going to hold him accountable. When no, no, who ran against uh, Todd Young in a U.S. Senate primary this past year? No one. He ran unopposed. The one guy who tried got kicked off the ballot. Couldn't even get his signatures out of the Marion County Elections Office to turn them into the Secretary of State. The system is totally rigged in favor of the wealthy, the connected, the, the people with the power in the state of Indiana. We have terrible ballot access laws as it relates to running for governor or for U.S. Senate. And Todd Young knew this. So he isn't accountable to you. Todd Young's accountable to one person, Mitch McConnell, because Mitch McConnell decides how much money he gets and Mitch McConnell decides how high he rises in Republican leadership. He's not accountable to you because he doesn't fear you. And now we have to worry about the same thing with Jim Banks because Jim Banks has already proven that he will he will get on bended knee and kiss the ring finger of the Republican Party leadership because that's what he believes was best for his political future. Jim Banks voted for Kevin McCarthy 15 times. Everyone hearing my voice right now knows who Kevin McCarthy is. Everyone hearing my voice right now knows ultimately, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be a week from now, but we know ultimately once Kevin McCarthy feels safe, what he will do to the American people. McConnell, McCarthy, same guy. There's a reason Mitch McConnell was all in on Kevin McCarthy being Speaker of the House. Mitch McConnell is not going to be all in on anybody being Speaker of the House who he does not trust to do what he wants them to do. And so Jim Banks is not a dumb guy. He knows what Kevin McCarthy is, was, and always will be. Yet, what did he do? He not only voted for him 15 times... He continually went on radio stations like this one, cheerleading and stumping for other people to vote for the guy. So that gives someone like me great pause that if there is not a way to hold a Jim Banks accountable, that we could potentially get another Todd Young. Now, will he spend as much money as Todd Young? I don't know. Will he be as bad as Todd Young? I don't know. But when you see someone put their own interest ahead of you, which was the opening shot of Jim Banks running for U.S. Senate, which was Kevin McCarthy over you, that tells me we desperately need someone to hold Jim Banks accountable, and the general election is not going to hold him accountable. The Democrats in Indiana are completely worthless. The Democrats in Indiana offer absolutely no challenge. 
The Republicans this past election cycle ran two of the worst candidates you could possibly run in Todd Young and Diego Morales, and they both won overwhelmingly. So the only way to hold Republicans accountable is in a Republican primary. And Mitch Daniels would have served as an awesome way to do that for Jim Banks, and Jim Banks would have served as an awesome way to do that for Mitch Daniels. But now we don't have that. So now we have to look to who is the next person who will step up that might potentially provide a viable challenge to Jim Banks in a U.S. Senate primary because we should all be invested in that. Even if you are the biggest Jim Banks fan in the world and you think being Kevin McCarthy's best friend and you think voting for Kevin McCarthy 15 times is the greatest thing ever, you should want Jim Banks to have a robust and viable challenger because it will make Jim Banks more accountable and it will make Jim Banks a better United States senator. So I don't know. Is that uh, Trey Hollingsworth? Is that Victoria Sparts? Is that Todd Rokita? I don't know what the answer is, but I do know Mitch Daniels would have checked all of those boxes and Jim Banks would have checked all of those boxes and we would have had a real opportunity to hold whoever wins accountable. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey show. When we come back, it was a big day at the State House yesterday as uh, there was a bill, the big bill, about potentially making school board elections like every other election in the state partisan elections. We'll talk about that coming up next. Kendall and Casey show 93 WIBC. Big day at the state house yesterday as a very important bill, her testimony. 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob Casey. You'll be here in just a little bit. So a story over at Indiana Capitol Chronicle, and uh, Micah will be with us here in just a little bit. He actually testified on this bill yesterday, so we'll get a read of the room. Uh, The title says, Republican lawmakers revive bill to require partisan school board elections in Indiana. Now, we had a couple weeks ago had Becky Cash on, who is a state rep from the Brownsburg slash Zionsville area, and she has a similar bill in the House. This was the Senate yesterday that heard a bill offered by Jack Sandlin. And what this bill would do is they would, uh, the bill would require that school board elections, just like every other election in the state of Indiana, be partisan elections. Not asking for anything different, not asking for anything special. We're simply saying that you should treat school board elections the way we treat the coroner, the way we treat the surveyor, the way we treat the city council, the way we treat the county commissioners, the way we treat every single other office in the state of Indiana and force people to run in primaries and put letters next to their name like they do with every single other office. There's no reason that school boards should be any different because the argument is, well, school boards should be nonpartisan. But the reality is it's the most partisan. School boards account for the majority of property taxes in the majority of communities. In most communities, certainly in central Indiana, school school corporations are consuming at least 50% of your property taxes. When you write that big, as we talked about yesterday, ever-growing check, most of it is going to the school, to the school corporation, and that money is spent by the school boards. 
The teachers union in Indiana spent huge money this past election cycle to elect very specific candidates. Newsflash, most of them, the overwhelming majority, in fact, I'll say all of them, didn't share my political affiliation. They didn't share my political ideology. Now, you can either believe that's just a big giant coincidence that all that they just picked overwhelmingly radical left liberals or weak liberal Republicans, or you can accept the fact that the reason the teachers union puts such huge amounts of money into school board races is they want to elect people with specific political ideology. And we have talked about this time and time and time again in places like Zionsville and Brownsburg and Carmel and Noblesville and Avon. Radical left Democrats keep getting elected to school boards in communities that overwhelmingly and in fact almost exclusively elect Republicans to every single office. The reason that happens is they don't have to declare a party affiliation. So if the Republicans in Indiana, we see a lot of lip service from Speaker of the House Todd Houston. I went to a a, a Hamilton County fall dinner where he was talking about we've got to win these school board races. We've got to fix public education. We've got to go after the ideology. If Republicans are indeed serious about fixing radical leftism in public schools, then this is the best way to do it. Stop letting Democrats win elections in Republican communities because they don't have to tell anybody they're a Democrat. Hey, look, if they run as a Democrat and win, then that's on the voters. But there is a reason that there is one election in the state of Indiana where you don't have to declare your party affiliation. The reason is, and we've talked about with this with Jim Merritt, who's been on this show numerous times, who was there when that vote was cast and now says he totally regrets doing it. The reason is they, they claim they wanted to get ideology out of the school boards But in reality, all they've done is embolden radical leftists in in suburban communities that are otherwise Republican. And the Republicans are too afraid to do something about it because they fear angry red-shirted teachers. So Michael will be with us here in just a moment. He testified on that bill yesterday. It's so important that that bill move forward and you could fix a lot of these problems. So we'll we'll talk about that uh, here coming up. But first, I did want to play, speaking of education, a piece of audio that I saw yesterday. And it was from Jordan Peterson. You know, he's an author, he's a commentator, very conservative, liberty-minded. Um, he was on Joe Rogan. And he said the exact thing we've been saying on this show when it comes to battling critical race theory in schools. And I thought this was, he articulated this so well. He was kind of talking a little bit about Ron DeSantis and some of the work Ron DeSantis has done in Florida to try to battle this. But what Jordan Peterson said is that it is very hard to defeat critical race theory in public schools because it is very hard to define. And so the left can just shift a little and come up with a new word. And we've seen this here in Indiana, like we don't do critical race theory. We do social emotional learning. Critical race theory, nobody's doing that. It's the equivalent, though, of saying, well, we don't serve hamburgers, but we serve you a piece of beef, and we serve you a bun, and we serve you a cheese, and we serve you lettuce, and we serve you some ketchup and mustard. Well, that's a hamburger. No, no, no. A hamburger is when it all put together. This is not a hamburger. And so what Jordan Peterson is saying is that it's going to take a societal shift not just specifically legislation. Legislation may be important, but it's going to take a societal shift in order to defeat CRT. Hi, I'm an admirer in many ways of what's going on in Florida, you know, with DeSantis, but him and Rufo, who I also think has got a bit of a clue, are 
trying to, what would you say, limit or even ban critical race theory. And the problem with that is you can't define it, right? Right. So how do you, how do you control something you can't define? And the answer is you battle it out on the battleground of ideas. Because as soon as you start to try to define it and then try to censor it, well, first of all, that's just going to grow because that's how those things work. You know, like where does, where does critical race theory shade into Marxism? Well, who the hell knows? Where does Marxism... F- shade into socialism that's even harder question then where does socialism shade into you know just being on the side of the working class well all that's fuzzy beyond belief and so once you get to the point where the government has to step in and regulate say what education systems are doing you're already in deep trouble and because it can't i don't see how it can really be done because i can't define critical race theory you know i mean he's he's absolutely right And when we talk about societal shift, we talk about people being willing to engage and do really hard things. And that is this bill that is in front of the Indiana General Assembly, the Senate right now, which would make school board races partisan. It's a really hard thing. It's going to have a lot of pushback, but it needs to be done. Real quick, Trump uh, had a really good idea on this, on how to fight critical race theory in public schools and the woke leftism. Choke off the money. Our public schools have been taken over by the radical left maniacs. Here is my plan to save American education, restore power to American parents. First, we will cut federal funding for any school or program pushing critical race theory, gender ideology, or other inappropriate racial, sexual, or political content onto our children. We're not going to allow it to happen. Money. It's all about money. 50% of the state budget, which based on what they're projecting the new budget at, could be $21.5 billion or more, is going to go to public education in this state, and you get crap as a result. 93 WIBC, it's Kendall and Casey Show. Amen. Amen. It's time to go to church. Take me to church to preach to the choir from the bowling pulpit, Pastor Micah Beckwith. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's here. Let's go to the drivehubler.com hotline. Joined by the conservative voice of the state of Indiana, Pastor Micah Beckwith. All right, Beckwith, you uh, went to the state house yesterday because there was a random, confused, potentially accidental act of government accountability that broke out the big hearing in the Senate on the partisan school board races. Tell. That's right. So I was down there to testify in favor of Senate Bill 188. And this is uh, Jack Sandlin's bill. It's a good bill. It would it would make it so that the voters would be able to identify who the school board candidates uh, align with when it comes to the party affiliation, whether Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian. So I went down and I basically just on the, the premise of more transparency, I just said, hey, this is a great bill to help voters know who uh, they're voting for, the worldview, the philosophy, and I, and I think it's a good bill. And so, so that, that's what I went down to. That's what I said. There were actually a lot of people who were supporting it. Now, the ISTA was adamantly against it. The uh, super, uh, the, yeah, shocking, right? The, the, uh, the Association of School Boards was against it. I mean, they, 
they know how this game is played, and they know in Indiana they they can get their leftist ideologue uh, candidates in office if people just don't know what they really truly believe. So I went down and said, give us transparency as the voter. Okay, yes, because this is the deal, right? If the Republicans are serious about fixing the radicalism in public education in the state, the number one thing they could do is say, if you are a Republican, you run as a Republican. If you're a Democrat, you run as a, run as a Democrat, and the cards will fall where they fall, just like every single other election in the state of Indiana. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's no other election or no other office that is nonpartisan. Even the coroner's office has to declare a party. And yet the, the school boards, one of the most important offices that we have in Indiana, are, are, are somehow nonpartisan. And, and you know, the, the argument on the other side, just so people can know what the other side is saying, they're saying, we don't want politics in our schools. Politics is <laughs> terrible. Right? <laughs> and you guys are laughing. You're laughing because you know politics is the schools, right? Like that is, it has overtaken the schools because the leftists, the Marxists know how to get in, weasel their way in under the, the banner of kind of stealth. And they get in and they have totally politicized our children. And so this is just a way to combat what they themselves have done. So we're trying to undo a little bit. And if you know what the political ideology of somebody is, that's at least a good starting point for you to understand where they might where they might uh, stand on really important issues, both fiscally and socially. All right, Micah Beck with our guest talking about Senate Bill 188 that would make the school board races like every other race in the state of Indiana. And you got to put a party affiliation next to that. Now, uh, you mentioned, uh, uh, were there any angry red-shirted teachers down there? Because usually the Republicans, when they get uh, decent ideas, the angry red-shirted teachers come yell at them. They crawl under their table and say, we're very sorry for thinking for ourselves. Were the angry red-shirted teachers there yesterday? No, they weren't, but they didn't need to be there because you have Republican Senator Greg Walker who did their bidding for us. So, uh, <laughs> T- tell, so, tell. Did I, am I going to have a new guy to give a nickname to? Go ahead. Oh, please. This guy, I mean, I tell you what, he's the one who stood up against uh, the abortion, uh, the anti-abortion bill that the Senate was trying to pass in the summer. He was, he was trying to undermine it at every pass. He used a stupid biblical analogy where he said, because the Lord killed the son of Bathsheba and David because of their sin when they had adultery and David murdered Uriah, because God took the baby as punishment, it's okay for us to kill children uh, with these exceptions. I mean, it was such a stupid, asinine, biblical like approach. I mean, so when I heard about that, the first time I was like, who is this guy? I check him out. He's from Columbus. He's an elder at his, bo- at his church. He goes to the Church of Christ in, in Columbus. I'm like, if I was a pastor at the Church of Christ, I'd be so embarrassed that this is, this is a congregant, especially a leader in my church. So, but here he was on the he was on the committee yesterday, and so he check this out. There was an amendment that JD Ford, a Democrat senator, and, and then uh, Andrea Hunley, another Democrat senator, they were on the committee. They offer an amendment at, to the Senate Bill 188, and they say we want to remove all partisan language from this bill, which would totally gut the bill, right? Right. Well. Walker voted with them, with the two Democrats on this committee. The rest of the Republicans said, no, like, we're not going along with this. Like, that, that defeats the purpose. So I get up to testify. I say, listen, this isn't about Democrat, Republican. This is just a good starting point for people to know more about the candidate. It's a good transparency bill. And Walker says to me he's in, in his question, he says, Mr. Beckwith, 
I, do you know what party I am? I'm, I am. I was thinking to myself, well, you're a rhino, but you know, you should be should be in the Democrat party. But I said, yeah, you're a Republican. And and he said uh, he said, well, would you have ever assumed that I would have voted with JD Ford and Andrea Hunley on their on their amendment? I said, no, I would have assumed you you would have done the right thing and voted with the Republicans on the committee. And he said, well, then you would have been misinformed. And uh, and I'm thinking to myself. Is this your is this your argument? You wanna you wanna you're 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 proud that you're a rhino and that you uh you, you like that's that's why this bill should die and and I and earlier now get this earlier in the committee he had he had had his staff he said he he he, he himself said this he said I had my staff pull the Democrat and Republican logos off of the party platforms and I looked at both both parties' platforms when it comes to education. He said, I could not tell the difference between the Democrat and the Republican. He said, I actually yes, got wait, no, 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 say that again. So this is yeah. a, th- okay, this is Micah Beck with this, our guest. So this is a sitting Indiana State Senator, Gregory Walker from Columbus. He just made the point that I've been making for years, Beck, with that there ain't no difference. Tell, tell again, okay. tell everyone. So, so he said, he said, I couldn't tell. I got it wrong. He said, I thought the Republican Party platform on education was the Democrats and vice versa. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, you are you are elected by Republicans to go and represent Republican values. And you can't tell. So either we have a huge problem in the Republican Party where there is no difference. And we need to we really need to talk that one through or and this is what I think is happening. There is a difference. I think when it comes to the social issues, when it comes to, uh, you know, things like parents rights, I think the Republicans are far different than the Democrats in our party platform. But he doesn't know it. And that's the thing that drives people like you and me mad about these Republicans. They don't know what they actually were elected to do. Yes, bingo. Bingo. Uh, uh, so Gregory Walker is this guy's name, and he's a, he's he's Greg, one of those yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, he's been Greg Walker. He's been there since the earth was young. Uh, 2006, <laughs> it looks like. I mean, if you've been somewhere 17 years. It's probably time to move on, and it sounds like it was time for Greg Walker to move on a long time ago. All right, uh, back with is our guest. What's going on with you and the library board in Hamilton County? <laughs> well, I'm. Uh, I think my spiritual <laughs> gift is making leftists mad. I just I've just come to accept that. You know, that's my it's my gifting, my my lot in life. Well, we. Uh, we are removing explicit, sexually explicit content from the children's and teens section. And, and the pushback from the leftists is that it's like, oh, my gosh, you're banning books. We're not banning books. We're moving them to the adult section. If mom and dad want to check them out for their kid, they still can. It's not, we're not saying it's, we're making it unavailable. But there has been an uproar from you know, a small minority of people in the community who are very passionate. And they come out to these library board meetings. And they, you know, they make a they make a big deal of it. And and I got, you know, photographed from behind uh, looking at my email uh, on my phone, which was it was an email having to do with the topics yes. at hand. And they posted it. You know, Michelle Fullhart from uh, she was the former HSC school board president. She was there and she posted it and said, Mike and Beck was not paying attention. We why, need board members to engage. Why are they? So, what, I mean, why are they? Why are they, so people are mad that you're saying, look, if this has nudity or uh, extreme violence or, you know, whatever, yeah. we're gonna, we're not getting rid of the book. We're just putting it in the adult section and then mom and dad can check it out for their kid. We don't want Junior rolling through the library, seeing it on his on his own without parental permission. What what is there to be upset about? That's a great question. I don't know. Like, that's what is there to be upset about? That's what I asked them. I said, guys, 
I mean, and, and seriously, Rob, Casey, I could not talk about some of the content on the radio right now because you guys would get fined by the FCC, okay? So that, that's how graphic some of this content is. If I said it, you would be appalled at what I'm saying. And they're giving it to six-year-olds. Like, this is the stuff where I'm like, oh, my gosh. And so, and so we're just saying, okay, we got to clean this up, and we have to move it into the adult section. And, and if mom and dad, again, if they want to check it out, they can. We're not limiting someone's ability to check out a controversial book. I think we should have the right to be able to check out controversial books. I mean, history has, is full of a lot of controversial subjects and topics and authors, and, and we, need, we need to have access to those. But, but yeah, we were saying, I don't think a six-year-old or even a 14-year-old, you know, yeah. Should, should yeah should have this in their hands and they'll push back on that here's last maybe last point here they'll push back and they'll say well you're restricting the right of free speech to that 14 year old uh <laughs> and, and i'm like no i'm not because guess what a 14 year old doesn't have the right to free speech and they're like oh my gosh like that you can't say that they absolutely have the right no mom and dad have the right to free speech mom and dad dole out the rights to their children as they see fit and if if you don't believe me does a 14-year-old have the right to go out and buy a gun? Yeah, that's a good point. No, phenomenal point. Uh, before we let you go, Micah, back with our guest, um, you're friends with many of these Republicans. I have no idea why, but you are friends with many of them. Uh, they all owe me a big, giant apology for being very mean about the property taxes the past year because I was totally right. <laughs> well, you were right. That's what I that's what I like about you, Rob. It's your uh, least least favorite time in the day, right? When when you were right. I mean, this was so obvious, right? For them to try to act like he has no idea, he doesn't know. We don't have the data yet. If the assessments go up, the property taxes are going to go up. That's how this works. It, it does. And, and again, I don't know why they're not seeing this as a political slam dunk. I mean, this would be right up their alley if they just go in and say, hey, Indiana, we're saving the day. We're, we're, we're rescuing you from the high property tax values that are, that are going through the roof right now. We understand the plight that you're, that you're dealing with. We got your back. I mean, I don't understand what they're waiting for. I don't even, like, even if they're working on it, just come out and say, we are working on it, and here's the plan that we're trying to push through. But but it, they're, they're missing an opportunity here. So I agree with you, Rob. Whatever they are or aren't doing, they need to get out and start telling the people, like, we're, we're coming. We're, there's, there's, a, there's a lifeboat on the way. Yeah, you know? You, know they, you know they name these bills, sometimes the big bills, you know, the whatever. I think they ought to call this the We're Sorry Rob Kendall Was Right Taxpayer Protection Act. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's great. I uh, I think hell will freeze over before that happens. But uh. <laughs> uh, Pastor Micah Beckwith, uh, the conservative voice of the state of Indiana. Thank you, my friend. Hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Ninety three WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey Show. Good morning. It is ten minutes in front of ten. It's Kendall and Casey. Did you run out of gas? WMBC. I did not run out of gas, but you know what? You did, didn't you? You ran out of gas. I, I didn't. I filled up yesterday on my way home, oh. and it cost over $50. Has anybody else noticed the price of gas going up over the past couple weeks? Now, wait, 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 little amounts, Casey. little by little. Yeah. Casey Daniels. Rob. Wait, listen. The Republicans told us this past fall in Indiana Mm -hmm. that it's a good thing we didn't do anything with one of the nation's highest gas taxes that they raise every single year because gas, the price of gas, was falling. Mm. What Now what are you telling me? I'm telling you it's been going up. The Indiana Republican Party would not mislead or lie to me (laughs) in any shape, form, or fashion. 
And so if they told me it is a good thing that they didn't in any way help the people with one of the largest gas taxes in the entire nation, I don't know what to believe anymore. Uh, the national average for gas <laughs> is up to three fifty one a gallon. And Indiana, the average is three fifty. Just uh, a reminder, a year ago, it was three thirty three. So, yeah, no, I didn't run out of gas. But thanks for making sure I got here okay. Did you notice how hard it is to live? <laughs> Have you noticed, like, how expensive everything is? Everything is going up. Yes, and so I saw this article, and it <laughs> it floored me. I put it on our tees. I was so floored by it. And mm-hmm. then I read it, and apparently it is a thing. Yeah. That people, 64% of Americans, mm-hmm. say they're living paycheck to paycheck. Yes, and it's equivalent to 166 million people. But here's the crazy part about yes. this. Out of this group, 8 million of them were earning more than $100,000 a year. Okay, so I... What s- are you doing with your money? I saw this and it, it blew my mind. Now, clearly, and, and I think we know this, we have a serious gap in terms of financial literacy, which is shocking considering we're set to probably give over $20 billion to public education in the state in the budget they're about to pass. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the free textbooks will help the financial literacy this time. Maybe that'll be the answer. Right. But how, how, you, can, how you can not be able. Now, let's say if you make $100,000 and you've got seven kids, okay, that might be a bit of a stretch. But if you're making six figures, your collective household income is six figures and you are living paycheck to paycheck, you are doing something way wrong. You know what that's called? House poor? Living beyond your means. Yeah, right, right. Because we were thinking about this this weekend. We uh, met some friends up in the Carmel area. I'm surprised mm-hmm. we were even allowed up in the greater Carmel area. But we went to that, what is that, the shop, the, the, what are those outdoor shops up there. Uh, are you talking about Clay Terrace? Maybe that's what it's called. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. That wasn't a me thing, as you might have guessed. Yeah. But we were walking around and we were noticing all of the uber expensive cars. Mm-hmm. And my wife made a great point. She's like, these people probably live in houses that are equivalent to these cars. <laughs> and unless you're pulling in, mm-hmm. you know, mid six figures or more, you probably could run into being what they call house or car poor mm-hmm. because so much of it is lifestyle presentation versus financial security. Well, did you see the tweet that Biden put out yesterday? Him in that electric SUV saying, hey, you can get a tax break on this. It's only an $80,000 car. Some of the cars he was peddling were over, were were a quarter of a million dollars. Yeah. So this is a really scary thing, though, to think that if you, if, according to 64% of, the, of Americans, mm-hmm. say that if they lost, basically, if they lost their job tomorrow, mm-hmm. they would not be able within one month's time to be able to pay their bills. That is ridiculous. And, so, th- and and not all of that. Some of it, a lot of it, some of it is on inflation and rising costs, et cetera. But a lot of that is on people just being morons. The former CEO of Walmart said that we're stuck in this loop of wage inflation, product inflation, and cost inflation. And it's just that the cycle keeps going. And he said, I think, unfortunately, an inevitable byproduct of some of this is the Fed's moves. So if you have a job right now, hold on to it like grim death. Good. I'm go- I'll be here for the next segment. Okay. Let's talk about Mitch Daniels. It's Kendall and Casey. It's 93 WIBC.